What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast. The podcast that explores the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. Welcome back, friends. This is the Fallout Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots. And I'm excited about this week's episode because we're talking about the new cryptids that are coming to Fallout 76. There are two new cryptids that have yet to be introduced to the game, but that will be joining the game very soon. And I thought it would be a lot of fun to take a look at what we know about these cryptids and especially the real world background and inspiration for what we might be seeing in the game. So far, we've got an announcement, a quick little description and a screenshot of each of them, which clearly shows that these are very inspired by real world cryptid stories. And I have to say cryptid stories because I don't, I'm not really a believer in cryptids. I'm pretty sure that almost 100% of cryptids are mm, the kinds of things that people make up in order to scare children or because they misunderstood what they actually saw, you know, like, oh, it's a giant sea monster. No, it was just a really big whale and you misunderstood what you were looking at or, or I'm sure there's some other explanations, but you know, maybe, maybe on a rare occasion, one or two of these things actually existed. Now these creatures seem like I don't know. They seem like they could have been real world creatures that were just misinterpreted or were kind of a one-off thing at some point in the past. And people told stories about them. And so they got bigger and bigger, but we'll delve into the details in just a little bit. Also, I wanted to thank you for being patient. You probably noticed that there wasn't a regular episode last week. And that's because I was at the elder scrolls online event in Las Vegas. I got to go out and see more preview stuff for the new stuff coming for this year of content. So if you are somebody who enjoys playing not only Fallout, but Elder Scrolls games as well, and you have any questions or thoughts about getting into Elder Scrolls online, or you want to hear my interpretations of what's coming, that will be on the next Elder Scrolls Online or Elder Scrolls Lorecast. It's not Elder Scrolls Online Lorecast. It's just Elder Scrolls in general Lorecast episode. So if you're interested in getting into that kind of stuff, you're welcome to join us. We have a guild. We have lots of people playing that game as well in the community. So, um, but Vegas was great. My wife got to go with me. It was a lot of fun and spent too much money, ate too much food and, uh, had to take the week off to do it. So yeah, it could have been worse. Did you, did you just hear that? Buddy bot. He's not around. Was that a, that was, it's a wolf. Oh no. 
I think maybe we've got to... I just said I don't believe in cryptids. All right. Let's transition to the details about the Blue Devil because... Yeah. Uh, yeah, that definitely sounds like a big wolf out there. All right. Well, let's dig into the Blue Devil. Here we go. So our first of the two cryptids is the Blue Devil. And according to the announcement from Bethesda, this is what it says. It says, far off in the darkness of the tree line, a pair of glowing eyes reflect the moonlight in an inquisitive stare. The preview of the Blue Devil read, the eyes hover around the base of a tree before rising slowly. Your skin begins to crawl as you see hooked Claws reach out and grip the fallen tree before it, as it raises up, towering above you. It lifts its long muzzle toward the night sky. Behind it, rows of glistening needle-like teeth, a strange howl fills the air around you with an almost human-like snarl interlaced between its horrifying song. The image that we are given on the Fallout site is that of a very large wolf-like creature, but it is not just a wolf. This looks like a werewolf, but this is not a werewolf. This is not the Jersey Devil. That's a very similar kind of cryptid. This is the Blue Devil. And in the screenshot that we are given, the night sky is very blue and starlit. And the this creature is has a little bit of lighting from the front, but it's hard to see if it has a bluish hue to its skin. The original Blue Devil, or at least the stories of the Blue Devil, present it like a wolf, a kind of larger than regular wolf with a bluish hue to its to its fur or its skin. And it's hard to tell in the screenshot if that's what we're getting here. But we are getting something that is akin to that, but with a bit of a fallout twist. This thing looks like a werewolf. And you might be thinking, okay, we've seen werewolves before in Bethesda games. We've seen them in Skyrim. We've seen them in Elder Scrolls Online and some of the other Elder Scrolls games. And this does not look like that. This does not look like they took that character model out of, say, Skyrim and put it into the game. And we're getting in the image that they're sharing, it's kind of a side view, but the werewolves in Skyrim look a bit more hunched over. They're a little bit broader in the shoulders. This creature appears kind of tall and slender with very long forearms, the front arms on it. I guess it would be legs if it was a wolf. The back legs are shorter. The the front legs are longer, kind of like in typical werewolves with a lot of hair on the chest and a very wolf-like face. So have that in mind as we talk about the origins of the Blue Devil. Now, according to, and this is the best site I could find, Clio or theclio.com. It's just known as Clio on the little logo. The, uh, the origins of the Blue Devil come from a scare back in 1939 and 1940. So we're talking mm, a good while ago. This was 70 something years ago. And uh, this is a time period where you have radio and you have early television, but there's not 
an easy way to communicate at distances. People had phones in their homes or, or buildings, but this is a, a wonderful time period for stories to proliferate and people to say, well, this is what I saw out, out in the woods. And then people go looking for it because it, it wasn't like everyone was carrying a phone around in their pockets because they weren't. It was very difficult to take a picture of something that you came across. So here's the story according to the Clio. It says, The triangle of hills between the towns of Jumbo and Grassy Creek in Webster County, West Virginia, is home to the largest cluster of reported sightings of the Blue Devil. These sightings, which occurred in the winter of 1939 to 1940, described a bluish dog-like creature larger than a pony. That is a big dog. That that was my comment. That's not in the quote. <laughs> that prowled the area late at night and emitted a ghostly howl. I almost said glow. That's not accurate. Howl is what it says here. According to many in Webster County, the animal was responsible for the deaths of a growing number of livestock over the period it stalked the land. This is similar to like chupacabra stories. Chupacabra typically are blamed for things like livestock death those kinds of things. This is a number of other cryptids that also get blamed for this. Eventually, the creature began making appearances in neighboring Randolph County, where residents joined the Valley Head Rod and Gun Club in offering a reward for its death, tolling $400. Now, that would be over $7,000 today. So that's that's a hefty sum. That's enough to get some people out there looking for this thing for sure. Anyone interested in trying to catch a glimpse of the Blue Devil today may do so by traveling down scenic Grassy Creek Road in Webster County between Jumbo and Grassy Creek. I, like, I love how this story talks about it in a way that like it might still be out there. Uh, this is interesting because if you if you look at the layout of West Virginia, this region is close to the Mon- Monongahela I'm going to pronounce that incorrectly, I'm sure, uh, National Forest. So this is very close to an area of land that is large and vast and densely wooded and would be perfect for stories about things that you might find out in the wilderness. So there are more specific details here in this article, which I find uh particularly interesting. The article lays out the the situation in the the area here in order to show kind of where the people were at and what they were expecting and, and thinking and, and feeling in order to believe in something like this. I guess that's a good way to say it. So here, I'm going to continue reading the article. It says, like many West Virginia counties, Webster County saw a dramatic increase in industrial growth in the early 20th century. We've talked about this affecting some of the events in fall at 76. Prior to that time, a lack of railroad access kept entrepreneurs from accessing and gathering the vast untapped natural resources of lumber and coal closer to the heart of the state. With the arrival of the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad and West Virginia Midland Railroad in the 19 or I'm sorry, 1890s and early 1900s, respectively. However, that began to change. Many of the forests in the Webster County area were old growth forests, meaning that they had been largely undisturbed for well over a century, making them an ideal target for lumber companies. 
As a result, one of the county's largest and fastest growing industries in that period was the timber industry, and many of the county's residents made their livelihoods harvesting local lumber. Within a few decades, however, over-harvesting led to the industry's collapse, and many area residents were left unemployed. As with many cases of cryptid sightings, economic insecurity fueled individual uncertainties and overactive imaginations. And the Blue Devil was born. This is interesting because it connects the sightings of cryptids to personal hardship. And I don't know if that's a roundabout way of saying people were depressed and unemployed, so they drank too much, (laughs) which could be a thing. Uh, I'm sure that can play into some cryptid sightings. Or if it just meant they just didn't have anything else to do. And so they were out there looking for things. It could be a combination of all of that, right? It goes on and says, one of the first reported sightings of the Blue Devil was by Jumbo resident John Clevenger, a former lumber company employee and then farmer who claimed in December of 1939 that his much-valued hunting dog had been attacked and killed by the beast. Another farmer, Ernest Coger, reported that his livestock had been spooked for several nights and some wild animal had attacked and killed one of his cattle and a sheep. Miss V.S. Cunlip, meanwhile, reported hearing, quote, a wild inhuman scream outside her home in Diana a few miles from Jumbo and H.A. Anderson heard something in Hacker Valley that sounded like a panther. This happens with cryptids where people start communicating about similar yet distinctly different things, right? Something attacked my dog. Well, that's weird. Something killed my livestock. Was that the same thing? Mm, I mean, both of those things could be bears. And then an inhuman scream outside the home. Well, it could have been a bird. Like that's similar, but different, right? It sounds like people's imaginations are getting hold of them as this is communicated through the community. It goes on and says, these reports quickly attracted outside attention with hunters arriving from as close as the county seat of Webster Springs and Buckhannon, Buchanan, is it? I don't know if it's Buckhannon or Buchanan uh, in neighboring Upshur County and as far away as the state capital of Charleston and New York City, New York City. None of these hunters had any luck finding the beast that allegedly stalked the hills of Webster County, though the ones from New York City apparently had their hunting dogs on the trail of something, but were forced to cut the chase short when their hounds refused to proceed any further. Suspicious. What could that mean? Newspapers throughout the state, particularly in the state capital of Charleston, reported on the rising panic in the Webster County area with considerable amusement. When the sighting spread to Randolph County in January of 1940, the Charleston Gazette reprinted the story from the Elkins Interior Mountain, calling the beast a varmint and wishing it might represent proof positive that panthers still stalked the West Virginia heartlands. That would be much more reasonable, right? Like, oh, maybe it's still there's still panthers out there. That could be a thing. Others, particularly locals in Webster and Randolph County, however, were less cynical, and many took part in the growing search for whatever was killing their livestock. Several claimed to have killed the beast, because of course they did, some seeking to collect the reward offered by the valley 
Head Rod, and Gun Club, the first Glenn Fisher of Bill Fisher Hollow reported before the reward was offered that he had shot and killed the animal in December of 1939, but its body had vanished before he could inspect it in the morning. Weird. Where could it have gone? <laughs> Another coal miner, Elmer Corley, killed something that Webster County game protector C.T. Whitaker characterized as not a coyote, but resembling one. Weird. After collecting the reward, Corley assured area residents that the Blue Devil was dead and no further reports were issued regarding the beast. So if this would have put down the stories about it, then the stories would not have continued into January, right? This would have just all been done in December, but that's not the case. Now, things progressed into the next year. The following year, the Webster Republican published a story detailing a similar countywide hunt four decades earlier. So this might go even further back. In 1897, the residents of Webster County had participated in the search for what the paper claimed was the last known gray wolf in West Virginia. On one night in January of 1895, it recounted the wolf had killed 27 lambs belonging to Jacob Hamrick in Randolph County. Shortly thereafter, the county courts of Randolph and Webster had offered a $100 reward, a little over $3,000 today. Then, on New Year's Eve, 1897, the wolf had killed five more sheep at John Hamrick's farm near Whitaker Falls. Banding together, Hamrick and his neighbors set off on a hunt for the animal in two feet of snow, stalking it over the course of several days before they finally brought it down. Publishing this account as it did just a short while after the Blue Devil sightings ended in 1940. The Webster Republican no doubt hoped its readers would come to the same conclusion it had, that the devil was just one more wild beast like the last gray wolf in West Virginia. Nothing supernatural to it. While the Republican might have dismissed the devil, others haven't. And anyone interested in sighting it may hunt it on the road between Jumbo and Grassy Creek. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, a anniversary diamond orb gear a bunch of other items it is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code maxpool m-a-x-p-o-o-l maxpool don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to marvel strike force for sponsoring this episode what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hello there, old chat. 
Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. All right, here we are in the middle of the show. This is where we get to thank our patrons and everybody who helps support and promote the show for me. Thank you so much. And welcome to our newest patrons, Frederick S. Dewey and Spence. It's SP3NC398. Welcome to the Patreon. I hope you are enjoying all the different things that you get on the Patreon. And thank you again for supporting the show. Also, big shout outs to our Sentry Bots, Dylan R., Larry D., and Mark C. We also have some reviews that came in. Oh, speaking of Patreon, if you're interested in checking it out, if we're helping you get through your workday and that kind of stuff, then go to patreon.com slash falloutlorecast to check out all the different cool stuff you can get for helping to support this and keep the show going. All right, let's talk about some of the reviews that came in over the last two weeks. We have a few here. This one is from iCryptocurrencyMike in the US. It's an interesting name. And these are, of course, all on Apple Podcasts. This says, just started listening. Hi, my name is Mike, and I just started listening to this podcast and really wanted to say thank you for that. You also got me interested in playing Fallout 76. I started playing it when it first came out, but it sucked, and I stopped playing it until about three weeks ago. Your podcast got me very interested in it again, so I played it, and now I can't stop. Thanks. I'm a junkie now. Also, have you ever done or mentioned in your podcast about the super mutant named Neil? First generation Neil, he was hanging out by Black Mountain. Thanks again. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Also, if you know of any treatments for people who are excessively playing Fallout, I am open to suggestions. Uh, so first of all, no, I don't think I've talked about Neil yet. I should put that on my list. And secondly, uh, no, I'm uh, in fact, I probably cause problems where people play Fallout more according to what they have told me. So uh, maybe ask around on the discord. All right, uh, let's go to Riley the Gray in the U.S. who writes, five-star podcast, what color blue is used on vault suits? Prussian blue. Tomorrow, uh, I'm sorry, Tom or robots with zeros, all one word, is a great host. Thank you. Uh, I guess that's a bit of knowledge that we now know because of Riley the Gray. Thank you, Riley the Gray. Also, we have one from White Broccoli, all of these from the U.S. You are the best. You're the best, White Broccoli. My love for the Fallout games lore has been filled with all the expertise of Tom or robots. I listened to this while at work and while playing the games. Thank you, Tom, for creating the vast world of lore knowledge. The best, the best, the best. My Broccoli, you're the best. Thank you for that. And for everyone else who takes the time to rate the show or leave a review. Also, if you leave a, a rating on Spotify, that would be amazing. Five star ratings on Spotify help a ton. And the episodes now have a little question where you can answer. What did you think about this episode? So thanks again for all of the support. Let's get back to the cryptids. We've got one more to talk about. Here we go. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. After that last uh, wolf howling thing, I needed to go take a walk. So here I am. This is a nice, it's a nice day out. Water, a little river running next to me. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So let's talk about the Ogua. Ogua. Interesting word. Here's what the announcement says, the official announcement. Before your mind can settle on an answer to this strange boulder, it begins to shake and groan. The ground around you rumbles, knocking you off your feet. You stare up in awe and terror as a massive turtle-like creature rises from the ground before you. It's easily the height of five men with deep-set eyes and a large hooked beak. 
This looks like a very angry turtle. This the picture of this in the the announcement looks kind of like something that Godzilla would battle. <laughs> if that makes sense. It is a cool looking angry turtle like creature with a really spiky shell or if the, maybe those are just I don't know scales giant scales on its back and we can't see it in context of other creatures we only see it in the water next to some grass and then there's what looks like a barn with somebody peeking out in the background uh, I would assume that this thing's probably the size of a small car maybe a little bit smaller maybe a little bit bigger it's hard to tell but that's what we have here and I definitely wouldn't want to run up against one of these things in the wilderness crap what was that all right, I'm gonna have to head inside. Hold on. I think there might be something oh, in the water. Hold. Okay, I'll see you all inside. Okay, here I am. Now I'm safe, and uh, I don't know what was in the water, but we'll just we'll play it safe because uh, who knows? Maybe cryptids are real. So the Ogua O G U A. It's an interesting word. Very strange looking word, and it it's actually very old. This word, Agua, goes way back, way back into the 1700s and conversations between early settlers and native people. And so this, this story goes way back. Now, I looked up a few different articles on this. And again, the Clio one was the best. So here's what the Clio.com has to say about this. The confluence of the Monongahela River and Pawpaw Creek in Rivens, sorry, Rivesville, Rivesville, words are hard, West Virginia, I'm going to go with Rivesville, uh, is the site of one of the most famous alleged sightings of what has become known as the Agua, a word supposedly borrowed from the Delawares or Shawnees. So one of those native groups, and we're not exactly sure because it goes way back. Although such sightings are recorded as early as the 18th century, the most well-known is the encounter of Fairmont coal miner John Edward White while night fishing at his at this location in the summer of 1983. So this goes way back, and yet we have a sighting from just a few decades ago. White's description of what he saw was less detailed than those of others, but included a glimpse of a serpentine tail that quickly led readers of his account to draw the connection with earlier ones that depicted a large turtle-like beast with two heads, a long tail, and a penchant for dragging its victims to an underwater lair. So the original story had a creature with two heads. This isn't the only location I read about this. So a large two-headed turtle like creature that would drag people underwater to its lair. <laughs> How sinister does that sound? Also, there might be somebody outside like mowing their lawn or something. So I hope the, the, the mic doesn't pick it up. It goes on and says such accounts may describe an alligator or alligator snapping turtle that made its way northward from the Gulf Coast. That's a long way and also inland a lot. Incidents with the latter being recorded as far north as Maine, Regardless, Agua sightings offer historians a unique opportunity to draw connections between the rumor mills of the colonial borderlands and those of deindustrializing Cold War America. 
Anyone interested in searching for the Ogua themselves may do so from the pedestrian walkway located on the bridge crossing the Pawpaw Creek where it meets the Monongahela. So, okay, it's a big turtle or alligator that made its way north. I guess they're saying there have been sightings of alligators as far north as Maine. That's a long way to go. And I live in Florida. I'm there's alligators all over the place. We've we've one in the lake just like a mile from my house, not even a mile from my house. I can't imagine an alligator being this scary. But I guess if you live in a place where you don't see alligators all the time and you happen to see one in the river or at least something that looks like a long tail with kind of a scaly back and is the size of a big alligator, then yeah, it's going to it's going to worry you. Here, it goes into more details. The earliest recorded sightings of a riverine animal in the Monongahela Valley matching the Agua's description can be found in an account from the Taylor and Nichols families from October of 1746. We're going way back. According to that account, a 12-year-old boy from the Nichols family was dragged into the Monongahela River while fishing on October 22nd. Witnesses described the attacking animal as a turtle larger than a bear in size, and when a daughter of the Nichols family woke to the sounds, I almost said broke, that didn't make any sense, woke to the sounds of something she described as larger than a sow, meaning a cow, rubbing against their cabin several days later, the family and their neighbors of Taylor's chose to leave the area. This thing, whatever it was, was scary enough that these people decided to leave. Now, of course, take this with a grain of salt because these are old stories. The next account of an animal attributed to the Agua legend is that of a young man staying at Fort Harmar near present-day Marietta, Ohio, where the Ohio River meets the Muskingum. Words are hard. In a letter to his parents, the young man described an animal in this country which excites the imagination of all who have had an opportunity to view it. It's very specific. The animal spent the day in the river, but at night would, and this is a quote, lie in the deer paths undiscovered at night behind an old stump until the deer, unaware of its enemy, passed over him. Then the predator immediately seized the deer by entangling him in his tail, which is 15 feet in length, before drawing him to the water where he drowns and devours him. Sounds more like a snake than a a turtle or an alligator. According to the letter's author, men stationed at the fort had even managed to club such an animal to death and found it to have two heads and weigh 444 pounds. Hmm. Okay. Why didn't they, like, I don't know, keep it around? Like, uh, stuff it? (laughs) Put it up in, in a shop somewhere? Such tales were no doubt fodder for the rumor mill in parts of Appalachia where colonizers had yet to arrive in great numbers. Yeah, back in this time period, there were not a lot of people living here. In an era and an area where the spread of information relied on the reliability of those who conveyed it, what one historian has described as groundlessness abounded. (laughs) Stories and bits of news often grew in their outlandishness, with each new ear that heard them. Yeah, spread of, like, word of mouth. It was like playing telephone is basically what this part of the story is talking about. Now, let's move forward in time. Tall tales were just as common in the Cold War era United States, where fears of Soviet infiltration and media 
revelations of political corruption combined to produce an atmosphere of suspicion and uncertainty that was ideal for accepting misinformation. Huh, that sounds a little bit like today. Weird. It's like human beings just keep doing the same things over and over again. Uh, Within this context, stories of cryptids, fantastical beasts whose existence entertained no logical explanation cropped up across the United States, particularly in deindustrializing areas where economic instability heightened receptiveness to feelings of mistrust and doubt. We just talked about that on the previous one. It seems to be a theme on this website, but I think there's probably something to it. A lot of people becoming suspicious also leads to uh, magical thinking, and then you end up with cryptid sightings and things like that. It goes on uh, a bit further down in the article. It says the bulk of the modern day Agua sightings occurred within this context. A number of fishermen in the Marion County era area reported encounters with a river monster in the Monongahela in the late 1980s as local coal mines and factories steadily downsized or closed altogether. The most famous of these sightings, however, was that of John White at the meeting of the river with Pawpaw Creek in the town of Rivesville. According to White, the encounter began with his observation of small waves coming ashore, followed shortly thereafter by the sight of fish swimming away from the river toward the mouth of the creek. Weird. Then, 30 feet from where he sat, a fin that he estimated at 6 to 8 feet in height appeared out of the water. 6 to 8 feet. That sounds like a whale. Backing away from the river's edge, he caught a glimpse of a long reptilian tail and the mass it was attached to as it swept out and then back into the water. On May 15th, 1983, the Fairmont Times reported White's and other fishermen's encounters on the river, writing that the, quote, monster that has frightened local fishermen is said to be at least 20 feet long and reddish brown in color with a serpent like head mouth lined with razor sharp teeth and a long flat tail according to the times the animal most likely quote came up the river from the gulf of mexico but quote old timers say it is an agua the old timers the old timers they know better that's an agua whatever it was it apparently did not attack anyone local jeweler 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 words George Cochran reporting that it did not trouble him. <laughs> George was not troubled. Regardless, White himself refused ever again to fish at the confluence of the river and the creek. So it seems like White probably saw something, but what exactly it was, we're not really sure. It might just be alligators. Alligators don't have fins, though. This is another one of those weird things where, like, the, the different details are not congruent Certain details are different, like the longer tail on the earlier description, the shell, it's like a turtle, but then it has a fin. It's just this weird hodgepodge of stuff. I mean, this is a lot of these cryptid stories end up with these weird confluence of details that don't all fit together. It's like different people are seeing different things and then trying to say it's the same thing, but it's not the same thing. And so their imaginations kind of go off with them or... It's a really weird monster, and it's really out there still. And uh, it's a good thing I went inside. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you have some fun in the game finding these creatures out in the wild. We have yet to know what's going to go on with them. Are there storylines that that are going to connect to this quests? 
any other content built around it? Are they going to be the kinds of things that you just stumble on on occasion and just appear out of nowhere? Are they going to be in specific parts of the map? We're going to have to see. It'll be fun. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you again next week. And we've got our patron episode coming up on next week's episode on Tuesday, the 25th. So just a reminder, if you'd like to join us or if you are currently a tier four or higher patron, then Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, and we'll be live on Twitch if you want to join us. All right. Have a wonderful week. Stay safe out there. Don't run into any real cryptids if that's a thing. And I'll see you later. Plug into everything else we're doing. Check out robotsradio.net. Reach out to me on Twitter at robots underscore radio. Check out the Robots Radio Rocket Club where you can join me and a bunch of our other creators creating your podcast, starting a new podcast, or helping your current podcast grow. There's more information about that on robotsradio.net as well. And you can always talk with us and the entire community, over 2,000 people on the Robots Radio Discord. Come join us. We'd love to chat with you. See you guys next time.